Blog Talk Radio. I'm Mary-Kate Carey, columnist for U.S. News and World Report and a frequent contributor to Tell Me More's political chat segment. The person from black history I admire is Condoleezza Rice. Here she is playing the piano along with Yo-Yo Ma on cello, leading to her once being called the most prominent amateur musician in the world. Condoleezza Rice grew up in segregated Birmingham, Alabama in the 1960s. In her recent book, Extraordinary Ordinary Lives, she vividly recalls the violence of the Ku Klux Klan and the death of four girlfriends killed in the 16th Street Baptist Church bombing. That crime, she later said, was calculated to suck the hope out of young lives, to bury their aspirations. But that didn't happen to Condi Rice. Instead, she went on to become our first female national security advisor, our first female African-American Secretary of State, and the first female African-American and the youngest person ever named Provost of Stanford University. I can picture her being our first female president someday, too. Her extraordinary, ordinary life is a role model for American women, including ones like me who are not African-American. And uh, good, uh, thank you for joining us here on the Bastion News Radio Show on the Bastion News Radio Network and WCOM in Chapel Hill and Carborough as we, I'm L.A. Bachelor, is the Bastion News Radio Show. We continue to celebrate women. This is Women's History Month, and that was a um, excerpt, a vignette, if you will, of uh, Condoleezza Rice, who served in the Bush administration and um, certainly is a, a brilliant woman. Uh, we don't play favorites. Republicans, Democrats, is about women in history, and uh, we certainly applaud and appreciate um and um, thank her for her service and what she's done and what she's gone through. You really should look at her her um, testimony, her story, and where she came from and how she rose to prominence. Um, it's it's a fascinating story that you really should check into. Women's History March and uh, women have played a, a part in uh, just about everything. Um, it, it just like Black History Month, it shouldn't be one month. It should be 365 for Women's History Month, and certainly we celebrate women and Women's History Month. I want to go to the phones and bring in my guests. Um, good to always have her on, it, and of course in lieu of uh, Women's History Month, uh, making making waves along with her her uh, leader. Of course, it's good to have her on. Uh, She is the assistant to the executive director of Straight Talk Support Group. She is Nora Dicker. And, Nora, uh, good to have you on again, and and thanks for the time. Thank you so much for having me. That was quite an introduction. I'm happy to be attributed to the Women's History Month as well. (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. You're you're making history. What you're doing – uh, and your leader is doing it. it you, you guys are making history um, for a worthy cause. And I mentioned Straight Talk Support Group um, is a uh, transitional um, house, if you will, and situation that helps uh, men get back on their feet. We'll get into the demographics of that. But um, talk about 
how you got involved and what Straight Talk Support Group is. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I've always been really interested in um, just social justice in general, but specifically racial justice, which kind of led me, of course, to consider the criminal justice system. So I've always had some interest. And then I um, got my bachelor's degree in social work um, from Indiana University and um, started working with domestic violence in an emergency shelter. And my path just kind of took me a different way. And so I wanted to kind of think about, um, you know, what could get me involved with working with justice-involved individuals. Because I didn't really know what that could look like um, so much when I was initially thinking about that. But, you know, I saw a couple movies, and specifically Shawshank Redemption stood out to me um, when I was younger as a man living in a halfway house, and he really didn't do um, he didn't, he ended up actually killing himself in the movie. And it made me want to be like, well, I would hope to be some type of support for men who have spent so many years or not just men specifically, but people who have spent so many years behind prison, that that's the life that they're used to and don't feel like they can survive on their own, um, back into society with all the new barriers that they're experiencing. So through some research and being connected by the right people, I was able to, um, be introduced to Straight Talk Support Group, and I've been um, Miss Elmore, our assistant, our executive director. I've been her assistant for just over a year now. You know, I, I've had you on a few times to we'll talk about the event that's coming up tomorrow. Um, but one of the things I did not ask you—I don't know if you have the data—but it's interesting um, that you mentioned the uh, Shawshank Redemption. Uh, and that movie and the hanging of the, the man that, that been, he, he was institutionalized for so long. He didn't know yeah. what to do. He came out and, right. And that was it. He was just like, he won. He was better off feeling probably better off that he needed to be uh, back inside rather outside. Of course it's fictional, but mm-hmm. these are the type of things that you see on a regular basis in your work. Do you see, have you come across the numbers or any cases specifically to you or um, straight talk and as it relates to people who are men who want to come out and say, you know what, I can't do this. And I I just want to, I just want to kill myself. I just, I can't do this. I can't function in everyday life. I'm institutionalized. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I honestly, I don't know um, those numbers and I can say that um, from my experience at Straight Talk Support Group, we've never had um, a person uh, commit suicide or attempt to our knowledge. Um, a lot of the guys who actually we've encountered um, are pretty motivated to um, turn their life around, so to speak, or actually now they have the chance to live differently now that they're no longer incarcerated. Um, and so they're pretty motivated to be quite successful, but um, through, you know, legal means. And and I, I want to make sure I'm, I'm clear about what I'm saying, like th- not to say that that's what is the, the end result, but I guess some, sometimes, you know, even as, as fictional as that movie was, you get some people that maybe get out. They're not privily. They're not blessed to be able to be a part of the straight talk support group or other groups. And, and the frustration kicks in. I, I, 
I would imagine. So with what do you guys do? Um, talk about what the the main purpose is and goal. Obviously, to get them back on their feet, but what are the dynamics? What are some of the things that goes into what you try to do and who you try to partner up with? Mm-hmm. Um, well, we like we say that we our mission is to um, give the residents 360 degrees of care. So that means that um, our programming is really fit um, to each resident. So, um, for example, someone who has a substance use history will be going. We will connect them with substance abuse counseling. But of course, if somebody has no history with that they would not be required um, to participate in that. There's educational programs. Of of course, guys come to us with different levels of education. Some guys were able to get their GED or high school diploma um, while incarcerated. Um, So we really just kind of tailor to their needs, and we really are guided by what their goals are. Of course, we know that they need to find housing. They need to find employment as well, but there are so many aspects that go into a so-called successful transition and it really means building a strong foundation for the residents. Um, so that might mean, you know, they have some physical disabilities, so they need a physical provider, but also they have to apply for their disability check, which takes some time to be processed and then for them to actually receive money. So you can't really pay rent if you don't have any um, income, which would be that check, or a mental health provider. So, um, it, like I said, it's really best described, I think, as we fit to our residents. Great point. If you're just joining us, we're talking with Nora Dicker, the assistant to the executive director, Bessie Elmer, uh, of Straight Talk Support Group, an organization that supports and empowers families and friends of incarcerated and returning citizens here on the Bastion News Radio Show, on the Bastion News Radio uh, Network and WCOM in Chapel Hill, uh, North Carolina. Uh, Nora, you, you talked about um, transitioning uh, whether they need the education, whether they need the mental health, whether they, whatever they need, whether they need to, um, they haven't worked before, you know, also they need resumes. Um, what's the biggest um, struggle that you, you have right now when they come in? And, and when you, you look at that, um, how do you overcome it? Is it by um, the resources that you you know, you guys are nonprofits, so obviously you're out in the community trying to to uh, a fundraise, which we'll talk about the one uh, tomorrow. Um, but but what's the biggest obstacles, and and how do you combat those things? Hmm. I guess what I would generally say is um, the biggest obstacles are the kind of the background check for employment as well as like records checks of evictions and felonies for um, housing. And I'll be honest, like there are barriers that they, I mean, they just being labeled as someone who's been incarcerated um, really sticks with a person for so many areas of their lives with stigma and whatnot. And there's always more to learn, which you mentioned our um, fundraiser, that part of um, the goal of our fundraiser is, of course, to raise funds so we can do things like provide clothing, toiletries, um, 
fees for apartment um, like applications and stuff. Of course, we want to raise money and awareness of our organization, but it's also to raise awareness of the barriers um, that are out here in society waiting for each person as they are released from prison, man or woman, like no, any way you identify, you have been labeled as someone who's been incarcerated. So there are so many barriers. And I think, um, and a goal from our fundraiser is to be able to kind of educate people and raise awareness on those barriers so we can be a more understanding society. You know, that's one of the frustrating things. And uh, again, this is um, personal me and, and the fact that society is can be very unforgiving. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it, I, I had a, a friend of mine, we had a conversation and, and he said, listen, I mean, you, it, and, and I mean, he said this in all honesty with his experience is that you're, you're better off, you know, being a, a convicted of murder than some other things, because when you come out, um, uh, it, it may be a little more difficult based on what society decides. And, and I guess he was trying to say that there, there are some things in place for those who may have gone through that, at, those violent crimes as, as opposed to nonviolent crimes. But my question right. or my well, comment would be, but my, my comment would be is that, I mean, unless you're, you know, I mean, let's just be real. You're molesting somebody outside. You know, people make mistakes. I'm not saying that, you know, murder is, is a good thing, but we don't know the circumstances. So it should be on a case by case basis. And I think that if all if, if people who have never had those type of crimes or that never been incarcerated, one second chances in the things that they do in their life. Those who've been incarcerated should get the same thing, and I think the, that's part of the problem of society: the stigma of people coming out of of jail or prison or wherever, right? Is always like they're just bad people. So I wonder mm-hmm. how you overcome that when you and your staff and others go out into the community and say, "Listen, we need toiletries, we need this, we need that for these people," and they're like, "Ah, once a criminal, always a criminal." Um, I mean, that's, it's hard because that is, um, the attitude basically. And it's like, um, it's a kind of backwards idea because it's like, okay, well, we say that we, um, that people go to prison supposed to be as a deterrent for, um, them to commit crimes kind of like, oh, I would never want to do that again. Like, yeah, that is pretty much a overarching common thing that people who have gone to prison or jail feel, I never want to do this again. But while they're in jail or while they're in prison, are they given anything that can give them the skills or the knowledge to not go back to whatever got them incarcerated in the first place? No. So it's like, what, are we, what, like, what is actually the idea in terms of follow through if you're just putting these people out who cannot find a job easily, cannot find housing easily, and they were already in, like doing a life of crime because let's be honest, life was probably hard 
for them. So that's what they turn to. Like people aren't committing crimes if they're living a really um, happy and fulfilling life already in the most cases. So it's just um, we do need programs out here in society like Straight Talk Support Group where we are trying to give them the life skills and the knowledge to not just find a job or find employment, but to find something that they actually have interest in because internal motivation is everything. Yeah, and education is everything. So uh, as, as, as diligent and, um, and focused as straight talk can be to, to give someone a job, um, you know, we're already having conversations in this country about, you know, minimum wage and the poor and bringing the poor up to the middle class and the middle class up to the upper class. And, and you know, $12,000 on average is considered not poverty in this country. So if you have people who have never been incarcerated making 12000 what are people who've been incarcerated going to make? And and, and that has to be um, considered, I, I, I would think. So with, with that being said, um, because it, there, there's a moral compass to this. This is a moral, this is a moral issue to, to help those who need help. Um, what is this event? Talk about this event tomorrow, and um, it's a fundraiser, but talk about who's involved and how this will immediately impact those who are in transition. Mm-hmm. Um, so our, uh, uh, whew, our fundraiser tomorrow is uh, called The Transition Journey. It celebrates the eighth anniversary of Straight Talk Support Group being open. Um, and we are working with, we're partnering with, uh, Tyrone Baker, a local author from Durham, who he himself was incarcerated. And during his time, while he was down, he wrote a book called A Convict's Perspective, um, critiquing inmate, re- uh, repeniology and inmate rehabilitation. So he's going to do a reading from his book. And he also dedicated, all of the ticket, I'm not, excuse me, the book sales from February as well as March, all of those proceeds are going to be donated directly to Straight Talk Support Group. So that is one way that you can support us and a local author is to purchase a convict's perspective critiquing peniology and inmate rehabilitation. And then after that book reading, we have a panel of experts, some of which have the lived experience of being incarcerated. Others have um, the experience of being part of the resources um, out here in society um, for these transitioning individuals. Um, So the tickets are just $25. Those proceeds go also directly to Straight Talk Support Group. You can purchase them on Facebook or you can um, contact, if you don't have a Facebook, no worries. You can contact us on our website. That will go directly to me, and I will respond to you, and we can message back about how um, we can get the donation to Straight Talk Support Group for um, a ticket. So um, it is tomorrow at 5.30 to 7.30, and I think it will be really um, really informative and empowering for everybody involved, especially those who have the lived experience on the panel. Yeah, and and those from the experience and those who are in in the trenches helping those who have been through, I think, is important from this panel. I want to backtrack and go back to it again. I wanted to make sure I got that in there about the event. Um, But as 
as an assistant director in this and, and knowing your background, you and I have talked about some of the things, the causes that you've been involved with. This is one being something that you, you truly believe in. And it, if, if you're going to be um, passionate about something, well, I should say, if you're going to be involved with uh, a, a cause, you should be passionate about it. You should believe in it. Otherwise you shouldn't be in it. It's just my opinion. Um, but I know you and I have had a conversation on and off uh, the air about the demographics of those who you help. So, and, and the gender. So, so twofold. First, I know there is a high number of black and brown people, African-Americans specifically that, um, you know, um, are coming through your program, let's say, and we know in the criminal system, I, I won't use justice because there's no justice at this point, but the criminal system shows that, you know, you know, African-Americans are much more higher to go to prison and, and suffer even worse penalties than their white and other counterparts. That's just the, the data right there. So uh, were right. you surprised about that, concerned about that? And then the other part of it is, you know, we've been talking about the men. What about the women? Do the straight talk, I know, but you could put it out there to the audience, the straight talk support group uh, assist in helping women in any capacity, or do you have any kind of partnerships that you work with? Yeah, so um, I was not surprised that um, there were more um, black men in, um, the, in at Straight Talk Support Group Transitional House. It's really um, made up of white and black men, but the white men are the majority, and that's just reflective of um, prison, well, and like you said, the criminal just well, the criminal system. Um, black people, black and brown people, are disproportionately represented in every stage of the system. So, if I felt like if I, if Straight Talk Support Group had majority white residents, that would be misrepresenting misrepresentative of the prison system. And honestly, that would seem quite kind of wrong because, of course, um, of course, white people have. Um, barriers, but uh, one of those is not race. So there is that is another element that can make finding housing jobs um, difficult on top of being labeled as someone who has been incarcerated. Um, and then to answer your question about women, we are a transitional house only for men, but that doesn't mean that we can't try to use our resources and our knowledge as best we can to um, help women people I mean <laughs> women as well um, either those who have been incarcerated or whose loved ones are incarcerated we do um, when COVID is has been lifted um, or you know fades away some more we plan to start back our support groups for those whose loved ones have been incarcerated either currently or previously um, so of course we serve um, women as well um, in terms of that, and there is a new transitional house that opened up in Durham, as Straight Talk Support Group is located in Durham, called the Peace House that is for women who um, are transitioning from incarceration. That, that's that's a good point. I'm glad um, you mentioned that. Um, and I, I won't get into the, the gender, the 
part of it, but um, I think it's important that you you point that out because people time is everything. So if they are listening to this broadcast and they're a woman, they think okay, whatever, whatever. Now you you point that out. The other the other mention, I, the other thing I wanted you to mention is you mentioned Durham, the Straight Talk Support Group uh, um, cover or support Durham. Uh, people in, incarcerated coming out of, of prison and jail uh, from Durham only, Durham County. Do you you have other counties that you serve or help? And and are you looking to sort of open the doors and 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 bring in more uh, beds for people to be able to 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 come out of jail and have some place to go? Mm-hmm. Um, so we are a um, DPS contracted house. Um, so the Department of Public Safety. So we refer, we receive our referrals directly from them. But um, if you're listening to this and you know that somebody um, close to you is um, their release date is approaching, and um, you think Straight Talk Support Group would be a good fit for them in terms of needing a place, a you know, a structured experience for their transition, um, then you can have them or yourself contact their caseworker in prison to refer up. Um, for a straight talk support group, so then we can um, then be contacted. But other than that, um, oh. it's not just Durham. Uh, we serve, we, sometimes people are in the North Carolina justice system, but they're not from North Carolina. So we've had guys from New York, um, Michigan, or uh, Missouri as well, um, as well as all different counties. And I, I, I got to say, too, uh, it, if if you're from one of those areas out of state or even on the other side of the state, it's got to be um, nerve wracking that you don't have any family here. What do you do? So they just yeah. I don't even like they just kind of, OK, you're done and you're free to go. And then again, going back to the Shawshank Redemption, the things like, wow, I don't know what to do. I, I mean, just hang myself. I, I mean, that's the extreme. But my point is, is that it's got to be kind of fearful and 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 very apprehensive for for people to come out and they have nowhere to go. So, is that a big part of what you guys deal with? A, a big portion of people who have no family here, who have no ties here, and they're just out with no plan. Yeah, I mean, it's a mix and it is a tough situation for those who are um not from the state but maybe they committed their crime and then were arrested in North Carolina. Um you once you're released, you're under a form of supervision whether it be parole or um or probation. So you can't leave the state unless you're approved by your probation or parole officer. And um, to approve that, they have to, you have to have a set place to go. Um, so whereas you might be released to a homeless shelter here, um, you couldn't just go to a homeless shelter uh, in the state because you're still on under supervision unless you get that transfer approved. Um, but it really is a mix. A lot of guys um, do have some connections, some social connections, whether it be family or um, a friend or two, but a lot of them um, don't have a lot of people. Some have absolutely none, um, like who they would put down as an con- emergency contact. So it can be hard, and we see an array of motions in terms of dealing with um, family or um, social support. 
If you're just joining us, we're talking with Nora Dicker, uh, assistant to the executive director of Straight Talk Support Group. is a organization, nonprofit, so please do help uh, that supports and empowers families and friends of the incarcerated. Um, one of the areas that, um, you know, uh, and not to get political, this new administration said they were going to tackle in terms of the, as you mentioned, uh, Nora, the disproportionate ways that um, the justice used the word the system uh, looks at people based on the, the the color of the skin. The data just bears that out. I do want to ask if someone was just mentioned, I was going to ask, is how does the probation play into things uh, with you? Are, are are you because you are Department of um, you said the, uh, the 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 DPA that you deal with that you have to deal with, or um, if someone's on probation, they're a lot more restricted in how you can help them, or does it really matter at that point? Um, No, we're not restricted because uh, really everybody at our house is under some form of post-release because um, they come to us directly from incarceration. So most people are not just released from prison without some type of follow-up supervision. Um, So, it doesn't really make a difference because every resident experiences that. Um, but like they, with straight talk support group, they have to follow our rules. The probation officer, parole officer, we have one main probation officer. Um, she can help enforce the rules. So if a resident has violated one of our rules, she can help kind of enforce the house policies. Um, and obviously she does like check-ins with them as well. Some of them have ankle monitors, things like that. Um, but so we kind of work alongside, but more so of their regulations probably come from the house. And that's just rules, you know, that really have to be for a safe um, place to remain living, like a clean house, you know, um, things mm-hmm. like that. You know, I, I can't make this up at all, but Nora in Lexington um, asked, and it's a, I mean, it's just a question, uh, but I'll ask it to you. Uh, are you guys Christian based? Oh, that's funny. Same name. Um, we are not. We are not religiously affiliated. Um, we are independent from um, any type of church. Okay. And yeah, yeah. That like I said, she had the same name. That's so I said I couldn't yeah. make that up. And she has <laughs> that. Um, let, let's get back to uh, the the fundraiser tomorrow. And um, first, get into the specifics of of who's speaking. You don't have to get to everybody. Obviously, Tyrone's going to donate, and he's going to talk about his book and and help. And he has the testimony to talk about this anyway, so Mm -hmm. we know that. But some of the other speakers um, and some of what the forum will be, if you will, how long it will be in duration. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have the time allotted from 5.30 to 7.30, um, and then the discussion is um, quite open-ended, so it, it depends a bit on um, audience participation, but the time will start at 5.30. We'll do quick introductions, he'll do a reading, and then we'll go into questions from the audience. Um, so some of our panelists are, we have Mr. Demetrius Lynn from the, uh, the Durham Local Reentry Council. 
um, who helps guys um, when they're first out, but that is a program specific to uh, from Durham, returning to Durham. And we have a peer support specialist, Mr. Tommy Green, who works with um, our residents at the house. Everyone um, meets with a peer support specialist once a week. And we have um, Ms. Judy Van Wick. She um, was a volunteer at Orange Correctional Facility. She would instruct some courses. Um, and she also would be a sponsor for um, some guys as they um, transitioned out. So she definitely understands um, some of the barriers and what resources are out there for um, people when they are um, transitioning from incarceration. Um, as well as another um, local author, Mr. Sean Ingram, who he himself um, was incarcerated and he has gone on to um, write a book and he is a community mentor um, since he has been released as well. So we do have a very, I would say like a very arranged um, group of panelists with different backgrounds and different um, involvements with the community currently. Would you, um, uh, I'm backtracking again, but I, I, I need to mention a couple of things or ask a couple of things and I know a couple of the, the answers, but um, do you, is there a criteria um, with, who you bring into the program um, is, you know, some people would think that, again, going back to just the stereotype that once a con, always a con, once a, you know, convict, always a convict. So there's, there, there is, uh, there's a perception in society that, you know, you know, folks who have been incarcerated can't be straight with, and if they can't be straight, then they're going to BS you and do whatever. So is there a criteria that you have in, in place? Are are uh, people of violent crimes or if they molested a child? What's, what's the criteria there? And then the other part of that is um, the second part of the question is, you know, is, is there situations where – people go through the program like any other program that um, helps people um, in terms of their, their well-being and, 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 and of that nature, that do you bring them in in terms of employment or mentoring or anything like that? Um, yeah, so we do, uh, we did have a, uh, resident who stepped up and helped me monitor the computer lab, which was really helpful because um, he, while well, he could help me um, teach the guys, maybe if they've never used a laptop before, um, how to do that while I would be helping guys maybe build their resume or things like that. So I was really helpful. And um, I'm sorry, can you refresh my memory on the first question? In terms of uh, criteria, is it there's certain people right. nonviolent, violent crimes that, that that can come into the program? Right. So um, the only restriction on who's eligible for the house is that we cannot accept offenders, and that is because we are right across the street from a school. Um, otherwise, there's no really particular eligibility, and we do have guys who are in there for violent crimes or you know drug dealing or whatever it is but truly like you don't you don't know who it's not like these people like you said once a con always a con that's really not the case like you, people are just people who might get into situations or find themselves um committing crimes that 
you know, <laughs> really that was not in their plan for life. Right, right. And that and that's the way society should look at it. So the event is tomorrow. And, uh, again, if you're just joining us, we're talking with Nora Dicker uh, from Straight Talk Support Group, uh, a, a, a nonprofit that really does a really a great job in helping um, former inmates to, that were incarcerated to transition back to life. Like what did, everybody's talking about, again, I don't want to get in my soapboxes about the poor poor people and everything but there's a section of people who are trying to get back into the scheme. Not everybody that commits a crime are bad people. Things happen, as Nora said. So with that being said, Nora, what are the expectations of of tomorrow in terms of uh, is there a numbers goal or any type of goal? And then please do give all the information on how people can can give can be a part of the fundraiser tomorrow, can um, be a part of the uh, the question and answers with the, the, the panel um, and where they can do all that. Right. Um, so the event is posted on Facebook. That's where you can officially purchase a ticket. Um, it's on our Facebook group, Straight Talk Support Group Durham. And if you don't have a Facebook, don't worry. Um, you can just go to our website straighttalksupportgroup.org and if you make a donation of $25 and in the comments say ticket or transition journey which is the name of the event or just indicating that it is for a ticket for the fundraiser tomorrow uh, and you put your email I will forward you the link Um, and I check my email very often so it would be a quick process so if you do want to purchase a ticket before tomorrow at 5.30 just um, go to our Facebook group or go to our website and make a purchase of $25, as that is the price for the ticket. Um, And it's going to be a virtual event. It's a webinar with a um, panel, and you'll get a Zoom link. Um, And if you have questions that you want the panel of experts to answer, you can put that in the Q&A or the chat box, and I will pose those questions to the panel of experts. Boy, you got your hands full. You're doing all of everything. You're on the on the air and doing all this, and you're doing the <laughs> Q and A and everything else under the sun door. But listen, I appreciate it. And folks, it's only twenty five dollars. Listen, imagine again it, what this goes towards. It, we all have our our causes, but these are, are folks that are really want to. Uh, they they paid their debt to society, and now they want to come out. Um, you know, we spend so much on the prison systems and not on the people in the prisons that come out. Uh, it's only $25, really. Um, so, and this is not just for some event. I mean, it's for them housing people, uh, helping them with resumes and giving them business suits or attire to, to go on an interview or covid uh, notwithstanding, and and all of the things that go in for people who come out and like, I want to, I want to take care of my family. That's another thing. So uh, we have to keep that in mind. Nora, I appreciate you. Anything else we can do? It's already on our site. But anything else we can do between now and and tomorrow? Certainly, uh, hit me up. Uh, shoot me an email. I'll be more than happy to do it. But uh, best to you and Miss Elmore and your staff. Uh, and I will be chiming in. I'll probably have some questions just to 
Okay. I asked a few polls and some questions. <laughs> so, great, great. I'm in, so excited. Yes, and, and I will be pushing people to do so and to, to pay the 25 and get in there and, and ask questions. But, you know, m- more importantly, just to really help uh, financially so you can help those uh, uh, guys to, to, to put their best foot forward. But thank you so much this evening. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Nora Dicker, she is the executive director of Straight Talk Support Group. is an organization in Durham, North Carolina that supports, empowers, and families and friends of incarcerated. And folks, I mean, again, the data shows is, is a lot of the brothers are, are the ones that are being incarcerated. That's why I don't call it the criminal justice system anymore. I call it the criminal system. There is no justice in the disproportionate black and brown people that go to jail for longer terms for lesser crimes. And, and you know, this administration, by the way, this Democratic administration, black folks vote for, um, said they're going to fix that. So we'll see. Uh, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back and talk black love. Wow. Get into that just a bit. The Bastion News Radio Show on the Bastion News Radio Network, WCOM in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Good evening. Welcome to another edition of the Bachelor News Radio Show. We thank you for joining us wherever you are. You could have done anything else and could be doing anything else, and yet you've decided to check in with us. 646-929-0130, the number to get in touch with us right now to get into any discussion we may have. And we got a lot. We're going to get to it. Uh, If you have any questions, you can hit us there. Um, And, of course, Um, You always can reach out to us by email at labachelor40 at gmail.com, or um, certainly you can hit us up at Pad Nation on Facebook. We're live on Facebook now, and um, or LA Bachelor as well. Twitter Pad Pad Nation too. I want to bring in my first guest. He is a licensed relationship therapist. Uh, of course, uh, he has been featured on Cosmopolitan uh, 51 First Dates podcast and the DBS podcast. Good to have him on uh, for the first time he is trey h hennis and trey listen i appreciate you. you you said don't call you doctor so i i may call you dr trey just to play on it a little bit um but nevertheless we appreciate we appreciate 
appreciate you coming on this evening, sir. Fantastic. Absolute pleasure to be here. Absolute pleasure. So I, I wanted to bring you on. We, we're doing a series, um, and it, we can't get it all in one show, about black love. Black love in terms of two people, a spouse, you know, um, uh, male, female, otherwise, and, and certainly um, love of self, which could hinder a lot of relationships, I would think, in your profession you see. But in, in terms of the origin of the issues that black men and women have in this society, and I, I got all the stats. We could throw that around all day, you know, marriage and percentages and interracial, day, all that stuff is in front of me. But I want to go to you and ask you what, in your professional opinion, whether it be some of your patients or just in your studies, is sort of the the core, the origin, the decline, not only just of marriages, but this this relationship we call uh, between black men and black women. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I think there are a few different components. You know, if we talk about the breakdown of marriage, you know, the relationship between black men and black women, I think one of the first things you have to take into consideration is technology. You know, the age of information uh, has essentially changed dating, marriage, the ideologies of marriage, the paradigms of long-term commitment and monogamy. It's just completely changed the game. In addition to that, the Western world, every year we become more progressive with the paradigms of what monogamy means. You know, we've seen the rise of polyamory, and that is when you and your partner decide to be in relationships with other people while still being in relationships with each other. We've seen the rise of internet dating and app dating where you can essentially date with anonymity and no one really knows that you're married or, or in a relationship. Um, and we've seen the acceptance of essentially uh, marrying who you want to marry. The good thing is that there's still a large percentage of, uh, you know, 85% of black men are still marrying black wives. Uh, 9% have a white spouse, 3% have Hispanic, and uh, the other 3% have other. I don't really know what that means. Um, but essentially, <laughs> technology is, is slowly tearing apart, you know, institutionalized monogamy and marriage that we've seen for, for decades and centuries. Well, where does that come from, though? I mean, let's let's go back to the marriage part. As you, you mentioned, um, the decline, the numbers in marriage, I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, you know, only 29% of uh, African-Americans are married. And that's down from four years ago. Um, so you talked about, you know, online dating and those things and, and being able to be uh, sort of secret in what you're you're doing. But there has to be an origin of why you're doing it. Why, if you're married, that you decide as a black man and woman that you decide that you want to step out of your marriage and and start another relationship with another man or another woman um, or whatever. Um, is the core value gone from from black marriages, from black people in terms of when they come together in a relationship? Are our are, are core values going away? And if so, is it because of the technology, the online dating, the, the, the wanting to take a, a bite from that other apple? Yeah, you know, I, I think time and time, so there's an old saying, right, where you are only as good, a man is only as faithful as his option. No, I'm not saying that's a fact. I'm not saying that I stand by that, but that's an old saying, right? And now, you see, back in the day, 
you know, you could meet someone at a gas station, you can meet someone at an apartment complex, you could meet someone at work, you can meet someone at school, you know, and those were basically the forms of meeting people. So your options were limited. And the person that you stuck with, you felt like was the best you could get because you really hadn't seen that many options. Now you could literally be sitting through the comfort of your own home and you can have a single bar in the comfort of your own hand and you can swipe and find someone that if there wasn't this technology, you never would have seen before. And unfortunately, what that gives people is a paradox of not getting married because they're waiting for the next best option. Because they know that if it doesn't work out with the person that perhaps they should have been destined to marry, that there's always going to be another option. There's always going to be a next best thing because all you have to do is pick up your phone and swipe and swipe and swipe until you have that match. So when people traditionally used to commit, when people traditionally used to work through relationships, used to talk through problems, used to be master communicators, that's just not happening anymore because people don't need to do that. Because people know that if I have a big argument with the person that I'm in a relationship right now, maybe I can find someone who doesn't argue like that. But what they don't realize is that when you leave a relationship because you guys can't get through conflict resolution, the next person that perhaps doesn't have that fault that the previous person has, they're going to have another fault that you don't like. And that next person is going to have another issue that you don't like. And what's happening right now is millennials, particularly people who are at the ages between 25 to 35 right now, is they're going through this cycle. They're getting in relationships that last from three to four months. And what they're doing is any kind of conflict or any issues or if there's a small thing that they don't particularly like, they're out of it. And there was a, a study that was released by the Pew Research Center that essentially said 25% of millennials are likely never to ever be married. And that's because of that one paradox of online dating. Well, if you're just joining us, we're, we're talking with Trey H. Hennis. Uh, he's a licensed re relationship ther therapist, a black, black man himself. Uh, full disclosure, uh, we try to reach out to um, kind of balance the scale with a female um, a black therapist, and um, we were unable to do that, uh, but we'll continue as this, these shows go on. We'll, we'll certainly will have uh, that situation. You know, um, Trey, you, one of the things, uh, again, going back to the core, and you, you like, I like the term back in the day that you use. You know, back in the day, yes, uh, it, it seems, though, our grandparents and, and their parents uh, work things out. Um, there was a lot more emphasis. Certainly you can even look at the numbers there, um, emphasis on spirituality, um, that it was biblical that you stay married, um, not just for the sake of your soul, but the sake of your kids. We'll get to that in a, a second. But it was biblical and spiritual to stay together. Um, and some experts and some uh, sort of articles to say that, black men and black women are going in opposite directions in at that aspect that um i've i've seen that you know a lot of black women if they aren't dating hitting that button on the phone um they're holding out if you will quote unquote um for that godly man and to a lesser percentage and i'm not trying to kill either side to a lesser percentage maybe not so much with black men so they don't stay in these relationships. They get 
divorce because they want to have that core values. We can get into if somebody, you know, infidelity and all that kind of stuff. But do you do you buy into that? Have you researched that? Have you had um, any of your your patients or clients deal with that of, uh, about you know the spiritual moral side of things have been part of the disconnect of the black family. Yeah, so, you know, it's interesting you say that in, in the black community, traditionally, we're, we're very religious, you know, we're very Christian. And I think that there is a disconnect between the modern black male and the modern black women. You know, right now, we're living in an age where, you know, black women are, and I don't want to generalize, but in the kind of couples that I've spoken to, the single people that I've spoken to for relationship advice, you know, oftentimes the black woman that, you know, they're coming to me saying that a lot of men they're dating aren't necessarily God-fearing. Some of them don't even believe in God. And again, I'm not saying that's all of them, but that, that right. seems to be the big disconnect right there. In addition to that, what we're seeing is that we are kind of in a weird world right now where we want to be progressive. We want to talk about equality and stuff like that. But, you know, a lot of people want it both ways. And by that, I mean, they want to have a traditional role. They want to have a traditional marriage where the man is leading the way, the man is paying the majority of the bills, you know, the man is the patriarch of the house. But at the same time, you know, they want it where it's equality in the sense that, okay, a man has to be an alpha, he has to lead the way, he has to, you know, pay a majority of the bills, but they also want it where, you know, he's essentially doing what he can to make sure that she's happy, he's looking after the kids, he's you know, changing diapers as well. He's preparing meals as well. And again, I'm not saying that, you know, I buy into any particular gender role. But what I'm saying is a lot of people feel like they can have it both ways. And if you want a traditional God-fearing marriage, you can't have it both ways. That's just not the reality of modern relationships right now because the world is telling you one thing, right? You should do this. You should look at your career first, you know, don't ever let a woman tell you what to do. Don't ever let a man tell you what to do. But then traditions are telling you the complete opposite. And, you know, no man can mm. serve two masters, right? That, and that's uh, certainly out of uh, out of the good book. Um, you know, uh, it, w with that being said, I, I had a conversation with someone the other day, you know, having it both ways, wanting, uh, you know, a man to be um, sensitive uh to a woman's needs being, you know, allowing them to be a damsel, you know, being a polite, opening the doors, paying for dinner, things of that nature leading up, you know, if you're dating leading up to a uh, long-term and a marriage, which is, could be two different things. Um, and, and some women sort of buck about that. So how, how do, how do you merge the two? I mean, is there any possibility of, the understanding there because, you know, some people think that if, if two sides are sort of have these uh, traditions and even I would say preconceived notions, then you lose out. You might've missed the, the greatest man. You would have, would have been your partner or the, the greatest woman that would have been your, your wife forever because of the mixture, and, and I guess what I'm saying is that uh, uh, are, are the people going to listen to what society says and let that be um, the way they lead their relationships, or are they going to go to traditional marriage and relationships? 
Exactly. So, I mean, you know, and, and we always refer to this, right? Back in the day, the the general consensus was, you know, if if there's a man who's, you know, making a bulk of the money and, you know, the woman is at home looking after the kids, the role was always, you know, the man would make the money, put food on the table, you know, take care of the family. And that was his role, right? And then the woman's role was, hey, you know, I'll take care of the kids. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'll take care of the house, blah, 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 blah. And I'm not saying, again, I want to be clear, I'm not saying that this is, you know, anything that I stand by. I stand by an individualist, um, an individual approach between you and your spouse, but I'm going to get into that in a second. But what what we're seeing now is that, you know, the trade-offs that, that people want aren't matching, and they don't usually discuss it until they're a couple of dates in. Sometimes they're, they're even in a relationship. So uh, both parties, you know, men want it where, and I wouldn't say all men, but some men want it where, you know, they can be their provider and, and they can have, they can take care of their woman and, you know, they want something in return, uh, but they're not getting it. And then some women, they feel to themselves, okay, well, you know, so long as you take care of me, I'll take care of you. And a lot of men aren't taking care of them because they feel like, okay, well, you know, if you want equality, then you're going to pay for your half. You're going to pay for your meal. Do you know what I mean? Like if, if you truly want equality, then, you know, you can't have it both ways. You know, I'm not going to take care of you if you want to be, you know, if you want to have that sense of equality in the relationship. And what I think needs to happen, and, and this is what for me is, you know, the first couple of dates, you two just have an honest conversation. You know, you look at your woman in the eye and say, hey, what do you think is good for you in a relationship? What works for you? And as a man, you say, hey, this is what works for me in a relationship. I'll give you an example, okay? For me, you know, um, I believe in equality and all that stuff. And I think that, you know, relationships should really be what you two decide. But I also like a woman who embraces the feminine. I don't really typically, I'm not attracted to masculine women, right? That's a preference that I have. I'm always going to, you know, let the person that I'm trying to be in a relationship know, right? So she and I know that we're on the same page. And if you're a woman, you should say, hey, you know, I'm looking for a, a God-fearing man. I'm looking for a masculine man. I'm looking for an alpha man. And you be very clear what you want because that way there could be no disputation. There can't be a situation where the guy said, oh, well, I didn't know you wanted that because you never communicated it from the get-go. Everything needs to happen from the first three dates in regards to communication. It's it's funny you, you brought that up, um, Dr. Trey, because when you uh... – you have situations where um, people are dating. There is no, it seems, right, no no real honesty. It's almost like I used to say years ago, um, you know, when you're hungry, everything tastes good. So sometimes it seems, Doc, you know better than I do, that um, it seems as though black men and women tend to try to force relationships that are not there you can't put a square square in a circle based on whatever they want whether they're trying to whether the woman's trying to um make the man that they just met into what they want it to be or perceive and the opposite like they you know you know after a few dates right that is probably sometimes after a, a conversation that's probably not going to be a good mix. So why, what is the reason behind that? Is that insecurity? Is that, you know, because people feel lonely? Why do they try to force relationships that are really not there? 
You know, especially now with, you know, the the civil rights movement that we're, we're almost reigniting in regards to talking about, you know, Black Lives Matter and stuff like that. I think a lot of black men and black women feel like, look, you know, we're going through an important movement right now. And I, I want to be with, you know, a brother or a sister that's, you know, going to help me raise kids so we can protect them and, and help them understand what it truly means to to be black and, and proud, right? But, you know, it's it's very steeper among blacks right now. I, I mean, I remember reading an article. It said that in the 1960s, you know, 74% of whites were married, and that rate dropped to 56% in 2008. And, and when I think about that, that's a huge, huge drop. But what's interesting is that in comparison to blacks, in 1960, 61% of blacks were married. Okay? In 2008, it's only 32%. Black people are getting divorced more often and remarry less frequently than uh, Caucasian people right now, which is nuts when you think about it. Um, and, and this is something that, you know, whenever I try and counsel a couple, you know, I let them know how imperative it is that they survive in this modern dating world and relationship world and, and marriage world right now because, you know, things are slowly falling apart and we need to stick together if we're going to be in a situation where we can progress as a people. Uh, you know, um, Doc, and I, I got a question that came in, and I want to remind people that you can get online and ask questions at 646-929-0130. Um, you can also hit us up in the chat room uh, online if you're listening online. Uh, you can hit us up with your questions and comments in the chat room as well. Email us, labachelor40 at gmail.com, and hit us up on Facebook at Pad Nation or Twitter at Pad Nation too if you have uh, a question. So there's all kinds of ways to get to uh, Dr. Trey, and then ask some some questions. Doc, when you when you mention all of that, um, and it it goes to um, we I asked about you know what are the reasons why they they do what they do in terms of trying to force relationships. One of the the stats and one of the things that I think people don't black people don't really realize is that, and it goes back to the Monaghan letters back, you know, in 1962, um, that if we already know, is Captain Obvious is, you know, statistically kids grow up better when there's a mother and father in, in the household, married. They don't really go into just living together, but mother and father there in the household. They They do generally better in all phases of their life for the most part. Um, and if that doesn't happen, you know, the numbers go down, single moms, you know, no, no men in the household, we get into incarceration and why they're not there and things of that nature. But the kids get affected. So it's almost, it's, it's what's worse for children, at least Two parents that stay together, knowing they should not be together, they probably shouldn't even gotten together in the first place, for the sake of the kids. And then, you know, kids are smart. They see things, they know things, and they absorb things. So they see the, the tension, if there's tension there. Or parents that get divorced, um, and those kids have to deal with, you know, the separation. You're staying with mom sometimes, you're staying with dad sometimes. Maybe dad's not there all the time. Maybe mom 
gave up her right, whatever the case may be. What's worse? I mean, because ultimately um, the breakdown of the family has affected the kids and, and kids learn, you know, from those surroundings and those adults that are around them, good or bad. I concur with you fully. I, I think it's it's definitely difficult because there is that stigma of, you know, having the paradigm of single moms because, you know, black men, we still have a significantly higher incarceration rate, right? And that leaves, you know, uh, a lot of uh, boys or, or girls motherless, uh, fatherless, and it's difficult for them to kind of want to get married because that's not necessarily something that they grew up with. And when I say this, you know, this isn't me necessarily victim shaming or anything like that. But you could imagine that, you know, in the 70s and 60s when there weren't any video cameras to film the atrocities that some police officers had done. Or, you know, when Bill Clinton, you know, had that act where even if you had some weed, essentially you could be locked up for five to six years, right? You know, there's generations that are still trying to recover from that. You know, generations that didn't see their father around because he was locked up for for blatant racism or racial profiling. And, and that is suffering that, pe- you know, people in my generation, you know, we're suffering by the effects of that right now because some of us didn't grow up with a traditional family. So it's hard for us to want that. I also think when you talk about, you know, characteristics and situations why black men and black women are, are getting married less, I think expectations are, are very, very high for both parties. But I want to focus specifically on on women's preferences you know black men a lot of them and the black men that i've spoken to have have felt like they have an increasing amount of pressure and that they fall very short of a woman's preference you know for example i had uh, a guy i was talking to about two months ago who had recently broken up with his girlfriend and he wanted me to to help him find a date you know he wanted me to to get an online dating profile. So I I did his online dating profile for him. I helped him with his bio. And he said to me, he said, you know, it's kind of crazy out there. You know, women want you to have, you know, an amazing body, a a six-figure job. They want you to be empathetic, but they want you to be alpha. You know, they don't want you to be trying too hard, but they want you to be trying hard. They want to be taken out. They want someone to raise a family. They don't want you to have any kids. They don't want you to have any debt. They don't want you. And, you know, the list goes on and on and on. And again, you know, I'm not saying that this is just separate to black women, but I don't date, you know, men. So I wouldn't really be able to talk from a woman's perspective. Um, But, you know, they they have very, very high aspirations, which isn't a bad thing. But I'll give an example, right? When black women were asked uh, how important it is that they have a good husband or a partner to provide a good income, two thirds of black women said that it was very, very important compared to 32% of white women. And then roughly 55% of black women said that it was very important for a husband or partner to be well-educated compared to 28% of white women. So what that's saying is that um, a lot of black women are saying that, look, you know, 55% of them to be specific are saying, look, you know, you're not really going to get an opportunity if you're not highly educated, which I think is drastically unfair because, not everyone is afforded the privilege of being highly educated. I think, you know, some of the best employees have worked for me who have just had high school diplomas. And quite frankly, they've worked harder than most people who have university degrees. And, and that's a stigma that, that needs to die. 
And then half of the black women said that financial stability should be an important precondition for marriage. But only a quarter of white women felt that way. Now, when I say this, I'm not saying that, you know, Caucasian women are better than black women. What I am saying is that black women have very, very high expectations for black men. I don't necessarily think this is a bad thing, but I do think that there is a portion of black men who don't fulfill that criteria who feel like they're losing out and feel like it's not even a battle that I want to fight because there's no way I can possibly win right now. Wow. You know, it's, 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 I'm, I'm glad you, you said that Uh, again. um, I'm a a member of a few different groups, real real dads and some, some stuff like that. Um, We have conversations like that a, a, a lot about those things and I won't get into my specifics, but a lot of, a lot of the brothers say that you know that, that that's the case. Even when you know um, prejudging, everybody tends to prejudge on some some level. And you know, some of the brothers have said to me, you know, um, I, I just don't know what what they want. Black women want, you know, if I'm dressed and clean cut, they think I'm soft. If I look like a thug. Then I'm too I'm too thugged out. They don't want that. If I and and I think the um, the what you mentioned in regards to education, um, there are a lot of opportunities to get an education. I do think that you know some form of training I would say is important. Mm-hmm. But like you said, not everybody's going to get a degree. And then at the same time, I do believe that uh, a you want to i would want someone um to be bringing something to the table financially working at least right um if you're able body you're not you know disabled or anything um and certainly and the other thing is you know coming to the table if you uh you know you're either trying to improve your credit and your standing or you have good credit. I mean, these are the things that I think both men, black women, men and women kind of look at, especially if, if they're in that position. But does that mean from those stats that you said, Dr. Trey, that, um, is it hard for say an educated, well-off black woman to even, give an opportunity or come into the same circles of a black man who is the opposite. And, you know, same thing with a black man, black man who's well off and um, educated, trying to date and be in a relationship and have a long lasting relationship with a woman that is not of those same areas. Well, you know, I I think you have to to look at at the expectations for both sexes, right? You know, typically the saying goes, a man is only as good as what he can provide. That rings very, very true. You know, I noticed a a significant change in the kind of relationships I had when I was broke and studying my MBA and my undergraduate (laughs) versus when I was actually having a salary job, right? There was a significant change with my dating opportunities, right? But that same mentality is not given to women. You will never hear anyone say a woman's value is only as good as what she can provide financially. You know, for most men, a woman's value is how she can support him, right? How they can grow together. 
you know, we're biologically wired to want and need certain things, even though we're all about equality these days, we still can't ignore, you know, what we're biologically required to want. Men have been the hunter and gatherers since the beginning of time, literally hunting bison as cavemen. Do you see where we're coming from? So, you know, when we talk about if you are a significantly successful black man, when it comes to getting a woman, you're going to have a much easier task as opposed to if you are significantly successful black women and you're trying to get a man, because a lot of men are intimidated. Let's take away black women in general by significantly successful women, because most women who are very successful in the corporate world, they've had to embrace masculine energy to get there because the American corporate workforce and the Western corporate workforce is still very male dominated and very male gendered, which means if you're a woman and you want to climb the ladder, you need to embrace those masculine traits. I would like it to change, but that's the situation we're in right now. Therefore, if a woman is a VP or a CEO or anything like that, typically she has masculine traits, and most men don't really want to date that. Some base males... But but also, isn't it... It, isn't it? You talked about DNA. I didn't mean to cut you off, Dr. Trey, but DNA with the men who – is it just intimidation or is it a man prejudging that successful black woman saying, oh, she ain't going to want to do it. She got every letter on, on after her name, the PhD and all that. She, she's not going to want to work with me. I'm a construction worker or whatever case, no disrespect to them, but is it not just intimidation, but is also prejudging that the fact that, you know, why would she want to even deal with me? Is that insecurity? Yeah, I, I would definitely say it, it's 50, 50. I'd say it's one, you know, men definitely have a bit of insecurity, you know, with masculine women. And two, you know, they feel like, well, you know, I've been a bus driver for the past 10 years. You know, I, I just, don't think there's anything that I can do about this, you know, or they could say, well, you know, she's so educated and so intelligent. There's no way she would even give me a shot. So I think a solution for that is, you know, if we want to boost marriage rates uh, amongst black people, you know, we should really focus on uh, improving job opportunities and education, particularly Mm. for black men. Um, You know, black women are winning right now and, and I'm for it. But they're winning significantly more than black men. Um, you know, I, I was reading an article, and it's, according to the Bureau of Labor and Statistics, they were saying that 18.4% of black men were jobless compared to 9.6% of white men. Now, we're not going to get into, you know, the historical atrocities of systematic racism, right? Because we know why we're here, fine. But at the same time, you know, there are still significant racial disparities that persist. I mean, end of March, you know, I was laid off by my job due to COVID. And it took me about two and a half months to get back into work, whereas I had a Caucasian counterpart where it took him a month. Now, I'm not going to get into the specifics. It could have been, you know, maybe he had better context and connections that, that, that I did than I did. But my point we know what we know what it is, Doctor Trey. We we know what it is, Doctor <laughs> Table. Go ahead. We know. Come on. We know what it is. <laughs> but, but yeah. But but what I'm saying is, you know, we need to give black men more opportunities to to thrive. You know, we need the patterns that we've seen before to be changed. And you know, black women they they got to give us a shot. You know, they got to realize that we're still struggling. You know, we're still seen as 
a certain element in society and and we need to be accepting of all people regardless of educational financial status right and you know i i will say this too to to your point about uh, uh black women um some of the most educated over the last few decades they're much more aggressive than men black men right they and and we tend to want to grunt it out you know historically if you will we'll, we'll work that nine to five they want more they're more tentative they 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 work as hard statistically harder as you mentioned um so there there's those things i want to get to a a question that came in and got a lot of people actually sending in questions uh kimberly uh said that she wants that traditional uh black man that black husband that is you know um steep in godly values that's that's what she wants and and that was her question you can address that but uh, just to to add on to that um what about even if you want the godly values but you know again let's live in a real world you're not going to get the perfect person the 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 last perfect person we know you know walked on water and is supposed to be coming back if you believe in 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 the book but but the thing is that if if you can get 80% of what you want and deal with the 20% you don't get you know the 80 20 rule isn't that enough and 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 one would think that the godly principles would probably be built into that anyway. Yeah, and you know, it's. I want to touch on the first question, then I'm going to touch on the second one. So, you know, if you want to find a, a godly man who you feel like embraces, you know, the key attributes of, you know, a man, right, in a relationship and marriage, then you need to go to the places where you can traditionally find them. And that's not going to be the club. That's not going to be the bar. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, I'm sure there's a preacher that's gone to a good bar in his time, right? Or so, But I'm talking about those people that are in the same club every week, the same bars every week on a Saturday night. I very much doubt that the guy's going to be coming out of some club at 3 a.m. and making sure he can wake up at 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. to go to his Sunday service, right? So mm. if you want to find a God-fearing man, you need to go to the places where God-fearing men are going to be. For example... Look at your local chamber of black commerce, okay? Look at your local church gatherings. Look at your reach-out events. Look at events, you know, charity events, you know, where good black men are generally going to be. Because black men who don't care about that sort of stuff, they ain't going to be there. You know, they ain't going to be no if, – if, if there's a black man who, who's not a god for your man, he's not going to be going to no reach-out event. He's not going to be feeding the homeless. He's not going to be going to no march <laughs> or protest. You see what I'm saying? Like, you need to go to the places – where you can find good men, okay? And I always tell right. people it's not going to be the bar or the club. It might be a dating app, but you need to be specific and strategic when you do that. I, you know, if I'm a woman and I'm looking for a God-fearing man, I'm not going to be swiping on a guy who's topless. That guy's not God-fearing man. The only thing he's fearing is that he's going to get a belly and he's going to lose his six-pack. So, yeah. Well, let me ask you, strategic. let me just play advocate with you, Dr. Trey. Let me ask you, uh, uh, play dev, play advocate, I should say, not devil's advocate, but advocate. But some people would say, well, you still see, you know, the wolves in sheep's clothing at the church, at these uh, protests, at these other events. So, how, you know, again, maybe it's a smaller portion than if you go to the club, but 
maybe you still find those people. In other words, you know, it, it maybe comes into your 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 innermost sense, your spiritual sense, as some people say, Holy Spirit, some people say, that you kind of figure it out and discern things. But how do you figure it out? Because, if it, you know, we, we know stories of pastors that have fallen short and had oh, wives gosh. and embezzled money and things of that nature, too. So, you know, as soon as we're talking about God fearing man, I, I'm going to by by their fruits you may know them. Okay, which mm. basically is saying that actions speak far louder than words. You know, and right. I always say to women, look, if you're trying to get to know if a guy's God fearing, you know, and I'm going to get quite raw here, think about the sexual component of things. Okay, I believe that if a man is willing to wait. Now, I'm not talking about waiting until marriage. I'm not that old school. I'm old school, but I ain't that old school, okay? I'm not, if you want to wait until marriage, <laughs> you know, by all means, but I'm not looking to, I, I would never do that. I think that's madness. You know what I'm saying? But, for example, I was once in a situation where I was dating someone and we didn't have sex for two months because, you know, that was important to her, right? And I was like, all right, that's, that's kind of important to me as well. I could do it in three weeks, but if you want to do two months, it's fine by me. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Like, I was willing to wait because I was, you know, confounded by her beliefs, and I, I believed in it, but she wanted to take it there. I wanted to take it there, right? And you're going to find men that are significantly better than me that, like, yeah, let's, let's just date and, and give it a couple of months till we share that moment, right? If the guy says he's God-fearing, and then it's the second date, and he's like, yo, come over to the house like get it on then that guy's not god fearing he's playing around he's playing around okay you you know women in fact are far more discerning than men because they've had to deal with yeah. it from 16 and upwards you know women get specifically attractive women they get harassed all the time you get i mean i remember once i was uh at the gas station you know my girl was in the car and then she got out because it was too hot and she was on her phone i walk out the gas station there's some guy trying to run up on her He's just trying to talk to her. I said, hey, we got over here. He was like, oh, sorry, man. Is this you? I said, yeah, this is me. So my point being <laughs> is that women, <laughs> you know, women get har- har- harassed and guys trying to pick them up, you know, on a daily basis. So they know a good man that's in front of them. And if they don't, then they need to start looking back at the mistakes they've made with men before. I'll give you another example, okay, for me. So... I know that if I'm texting someone and, you know, she's not that good at texting, she responds the next day, that's typically not a good sign. She's just going to waste my time. She's dealing with other guys. She's not that interested. I know that by historical data throughout my relationship life. If you're a woman, you know the certain things that you have done in your past and the result hasn't ended in your favor, stop doing that thing in the past. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again. Mm. That's real talk, I, and uh, I like <laughs> what you said. <laughs> the, the guy was hollering at your girl. That was uh, that was funny, you know. Um, and 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 you know, I mean, we're we're men. You know, the wind blows and we get excited. I mean, let's just be let's be real <laughs> about that. I mean, I mean, really, you know, you know that that's that's yeah, really uh, we we are. Um, but it, it's it's important though too, just to to. Look at the other side, um, because what about the men who? I, well, let me backtrack, uh, Doctor Trey. I think 
that I think you agree that just like parenting, society looks at uh, the woman in a better light than the man. Now, the man has caused that a lot, abandonment, you know, cheating and things of that nature. But there are some good men out there, right, in terms of being good fathers, you know, and being good men, um, those who really want something. But I think society um, paints this picture and maybe some women buy into that, um, you know, he, you know, I got dogs, so the next one's going to be a dog. Or, um, you know, men don't hurt. We hurt. Men just move on. We don't hurt. We never get our bro- our hearts broken or anything like that. Um, well, I won't get into my personal stuff, but th- those things do happen. What what about that side of things? So you're saying what about the side of things where men, essentially, when it comes to court, they, they're seen as like uh, – you're saying that they're seen as like uh, we are the aggressors in the situation? I'm- I'm saying that um, society and some women, black women, look at men as, uh, you know, that they they don't hurt or they all don't take care of their, their kids or, you know, all the negatives that society mainstream tries to put on black men that is really just uh, a stereotype because this you can never say all anyway. But I, I mean, I'll go personal now. I know I'm a good father, period. So, um, but and there's a lot of good fathers out there, and also the fact that we do get into loving, monogamous relationships, and we do get hurt. We get burned by a woman, like you said, that don't she don't text back the next day till the next day. You know she's not about anything. Like women can have can date a bunch of men and they're weighing their options. Men date a lot of women and their dogs. Right, which a hundred percent is true, and and that you know by by nature uh, a lot of women are, are hypergamous, right? And and that's how a lot of them are wired. Not all of them, but some of them in the sense that you know, they want the best of the best because as men, we are the choosers. We are the pursuers. We are seen as dogs because, you know, we are trying to find the perfect match. But what people don't understand is that there's a difference between a man and a woman. Now, when a woman has multiple guys that she's interested in, you know, it's different because, you know, you could walk, if a woman walked down the street right now, she, you know, she's wearing a revealing top, you know what I mean? She's looking good, you know, tight hugging, figure hugging dress, and she said to a guy, hey, look, I just broke up with my boyfriend. Do you want to have sex? I don't know any man that would say no, or at least say it, not now, but maybe like in a couple of hours, right, if he was busy. There right. isn't really a man that would say no. Me personally, I'd say no just because, like, it's too easy. There's something wrong in the hood. I'm going to get jumped around the corner or something, right? But for the most part, most men are going to say yes. If a man walks up to a woman and says that, the police are going to run upon him. He's going to get slapped. She might be carrying if she has a concealed carry. Like, it's over for that guy if he just walks up to a girl and says, let's have sex. So the double standard is, is getting worse and worse because misandry is, is increasing, you know, hatred towards men. We, we've just discovered in the last five years of the Me Too mo- mo- movement that there are a lot of men who have been abusing their power and authority to abuse women, which, you know, I don't condone. I think it's disgusting, and I think those men deserve their just desserts. However, because of that, we dealt with overcorrection. 
And what that meant when I say overcorrection is that men who were just, you know, doing things like trying to pick up a woman at a bar or something, you know, other people would say, oh, that's harassment because we're trying to overcorrect the issue that has been happening for, for so many years. And there's always been that double standard because women have always been painted as the damsels in distress, you know, the women who, who are very delicate and, and you can't hurt their feelings. Whereas men were always portrayed as we're just dudes running up on any girl. And we're just trying to hook up with women and have sex and, and leave. When in reality, the tables have never been closer than they ever have before. As a man, I know if this woman is worth her salt, if she's as attractive as I think she is, she's definitely going to have two to four guys that she is talking to the same time she's dating me. And you know how it is as, mm. well as a man. You know when you're rising to the top. You know when you're the number one guy. You know when she's not seeing any other guy before you. But in those beginning stages, she's definitely talking to other men. But for us, it's expected for us to just be like, okay, I'm only focusing on you. Like, it's a very terrible, terrible double standard that needs to change. Yeah, I I, I have to agree. And, and I, I wanted to throw the emphasis on, too, you know, the, the motherhood and the fatherhood. And um, and going back there, I did a, get a, I got a comment from someone said um, they don't, the man doesn't have to be perfect. You get a lot of women comments, uh, the man doesn't have to be perfect, but he, he will be perfect for her, and they're perfect together, which I think is, is profound. Um, but what about upbringings? We didn't get a chance, and folks, if you're just joining us, we're talking with uh, Trey H. Hennis, a.k.a. Dr. Trey. He's a licensed relationship therapist here on the Bachelor News Radio Show. If you're on the line, you have a question, I may uh, – Q, go in the queue and ask you if you have a question for our guest before he goes. And I see people on the line. So if, if you get silenced, that me, means I'm on the queue. I'm trying to ask you if you have a question for the guest um, that you want to, to, to relate to. And I see a lot of people on the line. Um, but, but, Doc, what about upbringings? Because let's say whether you're married or not, we already talked about the statistics there um with black women and and black men and maybe next week we get you on we'll we'll talk about interracial which is a whole different thing that probably uh get people riled up but <laughs> if you if you're a, whether let's just say hypothetically you're a black woman and you grew up with two parents and you're a black man and you grew up with one parent or no parents and you're trying mm-hmm. to connect and there's some different there's some different experiences there. You know, mm. Naughty by Nature said, if you've never been to the ghetto, stay the bleep out of the ghetto. If you never had those experiences, then sometimes it's hard to relate. But, you know, no, but you know what right and wrong is. So what about those upbringings, if, if they have different upbringings? I, my sister raised me. God love her. Her birthday, big shout out to her birthday coming up Sunday. But my mother died when I was 11. My father wasn't around. I think I turned out okay. So I'm even in a different category. But what about those who had two parents as opposed to one parent or foster care or no parents when they try to come together? Does that play a part into it, the upbringing? Yeah, so, you know, Upbringing is is huge. It's very, very huge. You know, I remember where I was in a situation where I dated a woman who was incredibly affluent. Her her parent, her dad was literally a millionaire. 
you know, I think he was worth like 20 million or something like that. I looked him up online and I, I got a little bit intimidated. But it was just, you know, that was a source of contention where we didn't even think it would be because for a lot of issues that I was going through, she just couldn't understand. I remember I had just graduated from my MBA and I was struggling to find work. And, you know, she was just like, ah, oh, you'll find something. Like, it's not that big of a deal. I was like, it is that big of a deal. Like, I literally paid for this out of my own pocket. Like, you know, your parents paid for your school. They didn't pay for mine, right? And that was just one of the very different arguments that we had because, you know, she had different mentalities on money and how money should be used and how disposable money was. So your upbringing, you know, how you've been raised is just critical. I think what we're failing to understand with, you know, black love right now is that it's changed. You see, back in the day, if you're in the 60s or 70s, you know, for the most part, you two would probably have the same sort of family with financial status, right, I want to say. But now we're living in a completely different generation, whereas a black man or black woman, you could come from a well-to-do mom and dad who was making 100 grand plus per year, and then, you know, he or she could run up on someone where they're dating someone who just had one dad or one mom that, you know, they weren't broke, but they were working class. They really saw their parents because they were always working overtime. You know, they scrimped and saved to go to college. Maybe they just got like a diploma. And these two are meeting and they think it should work out because we're both flat. But in reality, values and how you brought up are everything. And hell, you could have, you know, two black people who were raised up in a fairly affluent background, but one of them, their family is completely atheist and the other one's religious. It doesn't mean black love is going to survive that. It could, but it just, tra- it just takes extra work. So we're dealing with so many different ends of the spectrum when it comes to black love right now that you have to remember with any relationship, one of the key things that's always going to hold you together is respect and values. If you don't share the right. same values, you're going to lose respect. And if you don't have respect, you're never going to have love, period. Mm, amen to that. And, and to, the, to your point, uh, Dr. Trey, um, upbringings, especially when it comes to affluent or even middle class to poor. We grew up in the projects. We weren't gangster, but we were poor. So I, I, I've experienced the gun to my head by by uh, somebody trying to rob me or a cop in this climate, you know, police shootings and things of that nature. So I am going to be absolutely engaged in protesting and for social injustices and, and equality and those things. And, uh, you know, black woman may have never experienced that, maybe never experienced that. So, you know, she, she grew up and all her friends were, it was a, a rainbow and she never heard the N word. She never had to go through those things. So when we come together, then there's some differences. And then I'm the militant black guy and, and they can't relate. So, so even with that, uh, I would think uh, not just the upbringing of the values, Doc, but the environment, what you believe, what you've experienced, what you understand. You know, we didn't trust the police. That, that might have been something different for somebody else. So speak to that real quick. I mean, even with the upbringings of the neighborhoods, if, if you can't connect there, then it is going to have to take some respect some trust and some understanding. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I 
completely concur with you. You know, even though I'm from London, you know, what people don't realize is that there are some ghettos of London, so to speak. And, <laughs> you know, uh, despite that, though, when I when I first came to America, you know, the, the second person I ever started dating, you know, she was African-American. And, you know, she was talking and she she dropped the N-word a few times. And I was like, oh, oh, OK, uh, that's a bit commonplace over here, huh? Right. And, and then we kind of got into a discussion. I said, you know, you can't be hating on your own people. And she was like, well, no, that's just how we refer to each other. I'm like, well, that's disgusting. How could you call him that? That's racist. <laughs> right. And, right. You know, she explained to me the reason why it happens here is because we're owning the word. We're taking it back. You know, we it's ours now. You know, people try to use it as a, a racial you know, jab at us. But now we're taking it back. That's why we refer to each other that way. And I was like, oh, Oh, okay, right, and and that whole thing was resolved, but not other black couples. It's not that easy, right? Because sometimes, and this has happened to me a few times, I once dated a black lady who was adopted by a Caucasian family, and me and her, we broke up because it was around, uh, I think it was 2014. Tamir Rice, right, the 14 year old kid, smoked right. by the police. Rest in peace, yep. Tamir Rice. And she just said, "Well, you know." Yeah, all lives matter. And if he wasn't there in the first place, you know, if he wasn't waving around a toy gun, then they would never have done that in the first place. And I'm like, I cannot believe that you're saying this. I cannot believe that you're saying this, right? Um, and you have some people that are like that, you know. And I'm not going to get into any words of what I would call that person, but you know, it doesn't always work because you have different values. Values matter for everything. How you're raised right. always matters. Right. Uh, I had a one final one that uh, someone said that um, um, I just want to make sure I, I, I got the quote uh, correctly uh, that said that um, you can only appreciate something more as when you do the work yourself gives you a sense of pride. And uh, again, uh, good comment there. Dr. Trey, uh, listen, I, I, we have to talk off air, so I want to make sure we get you on and we continue this this series and, and um, certainly um, delve in. I, when we have you on again, I want to talk about black love as it relates to the, the other side, self-hate, and why do we hate our own skin, and, and are we buying into what society uh, portrays us as. But before you go, I want people to know how they can reach out to you, your social media, your website, how they can, um, um, you know, uh, obtain your, your services. Yeah, for sure. Um, you can go to my website, thefirstdatefix.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at thefirstdatefix. You can follow me on Twitter, thefirstdatefix, and you can go on my YouTube at thefirstdatefix. I upload two videos two videos weekly on YouTube and Instagram. I post every day for daily advice and tips. I also do a free consultation if you would like your online dating app uh, profile to be maximized. And I guarantee you that I will get you at least one day a week if you allow me to maximize your online dating profile. Well, I, I tell you, 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 you're a very impressive young man. Cambridge, Cambridge, you know, in London, that's the Yale of, of the United States. So, I mean, 
anybody's not impressed yeah. with that, then I don't know. Um, I don't know what they would be. Dr. Trey, I'm going to get uh, hit you up uh, off air. Thank you so much. God bless. Be safe. And I'll talk with you next week, sir. All right. God bless, brother. Bye-bye. I'm Monica Statieva, an assistant producer and director here at Tell Me More. And my black history hero is the one and only Toni Morrison. She has captivated millions of readers with her rich characters and stunning dialogues. The novelist is the only living American winner of the Nobel Prize for Literature. And she never shies away from addressing reality as painful as it might be. Racism will disappear when it's A, no longer profitable and no longer psychologically useful. But at the moment, people make a lot of money off of it, pro and con, and also it protects people from a certain kind of pain. If you take racism away from certain people, they may have to face something really terrible, misery, self-misery, and deep pain about who they are. I first read Beloved and A Mercy as a young adult after coming to the States from the Balkans. To me, her genius is storytelling that is so vivid I could actually relive a generation's, a nation's joy and sorrow. English author Edward Morgan Forster once said, Creative writers are always greater than the causes they represent. And Toni Morrison is just that. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for all of our guests. And, uh, of course, this month is Women's History Month. We continue to bring forth the vignettes of those who have made an impact, in, not just in their lives, but those um, young women lives that look up to them and what they're doing. It's the Bastion News Radio Show on the Bastion News Radio Network. WCOM in Chapel Hill. Thank you for joining us. Uh, appreciate you. As always, you could be doing any other thing. We decided to um, check in with us. Don't forget our website. If you miss any part of our broadcast, all the interviews and the rebroadcasts is at our website, the, T-H-E, Bachelor with a T, BachelorNewsRadioNetwork.com. You scroll down on the homepage, you'll get music, but you can go to all of our links at the top page, all the different uh, shows are there, you can click on and listen to this interview that I'm about to get into um, <clears throat> as well, also um, keep in mind music all day, every day uh, on the website so you can always click on that record player and listen and enjoy in between with uh, the Bastard News Radio show as well, want to bring in my co-host, good friend from way back uh, editor-in-chief of Black Athletes Force Network uh, he is Tony T. Mack McLean. And T, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, um, a couple of things. I don't know how much you heard of the interview in terms of uh, black love, but um, I, I think it, it what, what we don't know as a people that really hurts us is that that love extends to everything that we do. So that, my point is that it don't have to be a relationship between man and woman in a in a natural sense if you will but just the love of ourselves and helping one another um to strive to be better uh and 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 also 
to to be in in a position where we defend each other and be critical of each other. But that that love of self needs to be there. We saw it in the '60s and '70s. I think out of it, and even further back, out of duration, and 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 of course the uh, the feeling and the the notion of being equal. So you know, strong arming our way into society. We had to have to make sure we showed that love, but I think we get away from it as one of our callers has said that, you know, um, we, uh, it's a, it's a different feel, man. It, 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 the love of ourselves and and being comfortable in our skins has been very difficult for us right now. Uh, what's the phrase? You have to be able to love yourself if you can love others. That's right. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, look, we all we all have our you know little whatevers and idiosyncrasies and stuff, but um, I think if we can just handle that simple thing, everything else just sort of just play into. I mean, there's always going to be struggles. It's just it's never, you know, relationships are um, relationships are 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 um, something that has to be worked on every day. Hello. Hello. Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Oh yeah, I just. I, um, I didn't, I didn't I, hear you. Go ahead. No, I was. I just. I didn't. I didn't hear you. I was just. You know, I was. I was done. For my point. Yeah, and I, I was just going to say that uh, I think too that the uh, the the love of self as a as a people has been historic, and I don't know how you feel about it as. If it's digressing in in terms of the the facets of life that we deal with, just not I mean uh, again getting away from just relationship and courting and all that, just the love of ourselves. Uh, if we're digressing and we we're not understanding what those who paved the way for us um, to understand. That we are a a great people, and we come from great things and great descents. Descendants. It's hard to it, it's hard to get a gauge on something like that. I think um, I would think that the majority of folks do have self pride and and self love for themselves. Yes, unfortunately, you got a lot of folks that. Um, that just have that doubt and just have that um, self that that self hate gene, you know. Uh, Rick Rick James was a liar. The you know self hate is 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 a hell of a drug. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're right about that. And I I I, I wanted to bring that up to you um, as it relates to a love of a uh, a father and the and the. The um, proud father of a David Ortiz, his son, going through the ranks now, D'Angelo. Um, I-, I wanted to get your thoughts on him, it, 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 I, not just from the standpoint of, of baseball, where we talked about, you know, we are in a, a, a situation where you don't see the Griffies anymore. We don't even see Uptons anymore. Uh, they might be the last of the the, the Mohegans, if you will, um, but also the fact that you know the pressure 
I mean, Big Poppy was a great player. He was a clutch player. And now you have his son coming up playing the same sport. We want that, but you know, as, as baseball fans, um, so we want to see some of the legacies that come up from that. But but talk about the the, the lack thereof with that, and then the fact that the pressure of being better. Big Poppy, as you know, one of the most clutch players of our time in, in, in all of sports, really. And and now his son's coming up through the ranks. He's got a long way to go. We know that. But there's a lot of pressure living up to your father being big and bringing championships back to a, 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 a city that really didn't embrace him all the time. Yeah, well, I think that's a – anytime you're a sibling – of a former major leaguer, there is going to be pressure. And I guess depending on the sibling, there's always going to be certain amounts of pressure. You know, Ken, you know, Jr. talked a lot about when he was in, in his rookie year, you know, his as a, as a professional, where, you know, he had a lot of self-doubt. He had some thoughts of uh, suicide and all that other stuff. And you look back, you know, you look back at that and you say, how could he have that? When you realize just how great of a player right. he was. But see, you know, again, we we don't get to see, you know, we don't see, we don't, we get to see the finished product. We don't see uh, all the other struggles and everything, you know, the that 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 these guys and gals go through. Um, I could imagine Le- LeBron's son goes through hell. You know, Jordan's son only got to a certain level before I think he decided to uh, give up the game. And it's, it's, you can know what you're getting into, but you don't know what you're getting into. I know, I know that's sort of the, and I, and, not like no, a and I think it, is it different, is it different from a father, son, or a sibling thing, Upton's with a father, son. I mean, Walter Payton's son, what he tried to do, I mean, you look at with again D'Angelo and David Ortiz, and and th- th- is it a different pressure as a father son as opposed to like if they're siblings? I think it's I think it's similar, maybe because see, the the you know our our, our brethren in the media is is never going to get it right because they all you know because there's always unrealistic expectations and even if you were to meet and even if you were lucky enough to meet those expectations there's still going to be there's there still will be folks that will be like yeah but and it's like you know that's that's the you know that, not, and, not and that's why i was gonna go but well, yeah, gonna go, but go ahead and finish yep, to, yep. i mean it's it's there's it's it's all look it's you know whenever you're son, daughter, sibling, or, or what have you. I mean, you you know, you look over the years and see how things have, have played out over the years. Um, just to, I mean, I mean, we could go on all day with the father and sons and stuff, you know. I think of, um, you know, Bernard and Albert King. Bernard had a very great career. Albert had a very good career as well. Maybe not as prominent as Bernard's, but I wouldn't call him a failure at all but see that's the thing you know because sports you know because of the competitive part 
and unfortunately because of the unrealistic scrutiny that 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 is placed upon these uh, men and women, it 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 go it goes it goes too far. I mean, I look at how um, the idiots from TNT, well, more so Shaq, trolled uh, Lavelle uh, McGee. Now Lavelle McGee is yeah. uh, Pam McGee's uh, son. Pam McGee was a great women's player from back in the day with USC. You know, she here and her and her uh, twin sister. Uh, was part of that USC team with um, Cheryl uh, with uh, Cheryl Miller, you know the woman of Troy. Cheryl Miller, yeah. Stuff. Now Lavelle, to me, he's turned out to be a pretty decent pro. Now he's had some, you know, I guess blooper like moments, but people, you know, Shaq in particular and, and other folks bought into it. They 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 trolled this kid, and it took like his, you know, it, it took like you know his mother saying, "Hey, leave him the hell alone." Now, he's not now. This is a guy that's you know been to been to the finals a bunch of times, has a championship ring. He has a lot of things that a lot of common and even better, allegedly better players in the NBA don't have. He's got a hell of a playoff resume. He's he's you know his game has gotten better and better over the years. He's still a very you know I'm not saying he's an all star, but he's a good ball player. He's a he's a He's a better-than-average ball player, but with the kind of scrutiny that he gets, you would, you know, you know, you, 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 people would think that he's the thirteenth uh, man on a on a twelve-man roster. And you know, to to your point, and I don't know what's worse, uh, the the pressure of that or the the mainstream media that, that wants to put the pressure on. But you look at a guy like Magic Johnson and his son. Um, you know, he he wanted no part of trying to follow in that footsteps, um, and mm-hmm. and you know the the all the other issues that are going on. And again, like yeah, I go back to Walter Payton. His son played a, I think he played at Jackson State. If you, you can correct me if I'm wrong, and and and, and he made actually, a run. He actually, uh, he actually went to the U. He went to the U. To you, my bad, my bad. Um, mm-hmm. And but the the point is, is that, that, that you know, here you here you have sweetness, one of the all time greatness, and and there was a lot of stories and things that came out um, that they tried to come out about him, and he just wanted to play football. So mm-hmm. there, there's a lot to be said about if you want to play. You you might have been that kid tossing the ball around in the glove with your your father, and guess what? You just love the game. You ain't trying to be like your dad. You just you just love the game. That's mm-hmm. it. And wherever wherever you love the game and your talent mm-hmm. puts you is where it is. But so it's 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 I guess it's the the media, but it's also in some cases some kids, unfortunately. In some cases, because of all that around them, Barry was 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 a smart one in terms of seeing what his father went through. That that pressure gets to them, and maybe they don't live up to what they do, or they just well, want to just play and just whatever. Well, you, talk, you talk about Barry Bonds, and and see now Barry right. Barry used that you know Barry used that as his fuel, and I think you know it made him the ball player that he became. You know, and and you know, in, in other you know, in certain instances, people can channel 
that anger, and 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 you know, you know, you, you know, I, I, I go back to Griffey. Griffey, you know, Griffey never forgot how he was treated by the Yankee organization, Billy Martin in particular, when he was a kid, when, when Ken Griffey came there. Now, apparently over the years, there were overtures by the Yankees for him to go there, and he said, I'll never play for the Yankees because I remember how, I, how my dad was treated how I was treated there. So I would never, I would never ever go there. But then you have guys who, like Pete Rose Jr. Pete Rose Jr. was in camp for like about three, four different teams, you know, he got called up, you know, once by at, by Cincinnati, and they had him wear 14, and his, I mean, you know, the whole the whole bit. And, you know, needless to say, he did not turn out to be as good a player as his dad. But it wasn't through trying. I mean, he, he, did, he did the minor leagues for almost, I think, almost a decade before he finally just said, you know what, I'm, I'm done. And Tony, it does. It's, it's something to be said about understanding your role. Like understanding you, you might be a big fish in a little pond, or you might not be a big fish at all. Look at the Bones. I mean, Aaron had that one shot with the Yank, you know, with the big hit and all that. But his father had a, a long-lasting career. Like his father was well, a great whole, player. Whole, family, you know, the family. You got to remember this. It started out, you know. Ray Boone was the architect back in, you know, when he played back in the day, and then Bob was his son, and then Bob's two sons wound up carving niches. So it's not that it can't work. You know, we always, you know, we, I talked last week about uh, the Hairston family. Uh, you know, Sam Hairston starting off in the Negro Leagues, and then his son, Jerry Hairston, coming up, actually playing for the White Sox as well. And then Jerry's sons, Jerry Jr. and Scott, Having uh, good, you know, fair to midland careers, and the it's it's not like it, can, you know. For, look, for every you know sports family where it where it it works perfectly, there's sometimes when it doesn't, and it's not you know. Again, it's it's not terrible either way. You know, the you know, a lot can be said for the effort. Unfortunately, because of this. 24/7 365 feeding frenzy that's out there um it, it you know the 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 attention or the overhype of the attention can can make it whatever but i think let's put it this way i go back to what i said about you know you think you're getting into what you, you think you know what you're getting into but you really don't know what you're getting into but the fact that they're willing to in a sense put themselves cuz once you make that commitment you know, you you know it 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 you know, there's there's a there's a lot of baggage that's going to go along with it, good, bad, or and indifferent. And I think, and, go ahead. I was going to say um, to the the point of D'Angelo Ortiz, his father, he said, "quote To have him as a resource is amazing. That's that's important. Absolutely. First of all, he said, Absolutely. I never use. He said, I I never use that in the excuse. I love pressure. And I love." Those butterflies in my stomach. I love people not expecting me to follow in his footsteps, and me just walking right into uh, into them uh, is something that I love. He now he is of course attending a, a, a high school where A. Rod was was great, and 
and uh, uh, some others were were really good. Um, but it, it, he said two important things there. He said, "Look, I'm not going to shy away from my father being great. My father was great." I love my father. He's basically saying and respected, but he's saying at the same right. And then he's also saying, look, but I just want to play the game. So wherever the game takes me and wherever my talent takes me, then it is what it is. I love that about a kid. I love that you respect and know that your father is great. And like I said, starting off this conversation, his father is one of the most clutch players, certainly in in Red Sox history. And and now he's coming up, and he wants to be good. He just wants to play ball. But oh, by the and, way, I have and, a great father. Exactly. <laughs> and 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 he'd be foolish not to use him as a resource. But yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's 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 you know, it's funda- fundamentally, of course, you have to. Do. He'll be. You know, look, there are always going to be bastards at the gate. There's always going to be folks ready to you know that literally can't wait till you fall on your face. But I think um, picture-wise, I applaud the kid. I think he's going to do – you know, he's got the attitude, right? You know, so, so many, I guess, it, it – um, you know, you look, at, you look at the Williams sisters. You look at the way that they fed off of each other. And they – and their impact on the sport will last forever. You know, the, the, the women make big money now because – of the impact of the Williamses. And then you have other extremes like uh, the family ball. Now, I think those two, I think the two of them, they're going to, you know, they're going to be stalwarts in the NBA. You know, and again, I'm just talking about their play, but unfortunately because of all the perfunctory stuff and, 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 and to be fair, a lot of it is brought on because their dad, um, uh, has never said a, has never met a camera or a microphone that he didn't like, and unfortunately, they're going to bear the brunt of it because you had people literally after two weeks into his career say, "Oh, this kid's a bust," and it's so asinine to say that. But but again, it speaks more to the folks than it does to these kids. And again, both of them. Even in their small little bit of time, they've carved a little bit of a niche. In, in, in many ways, the younger one has already sort of carved a little bit of a niche already down uh, in Charlotte. But all that being said, um, it's it's look. Once you just again, once you decide to take that first step, you know. You, you you have you have to be in a sense prepared for all, all the all the you know the slings and arrows that 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 go with it and there's no and there's no way of uh, hiding or run, running away from it just you know the good thing is much like um, much like Big Poppy's son and everybody else's sons and daughter that person is going to be there as a resource and most importantly as someone who's going to help them along the way. But at the end how of the day, how much should be said, how much, I'm sorry. I was going to say, how much should be said to those kids in sports that are like kids and uh, kids in society, as it relates to their parents being rich or famous, that they just throw it all away. 
how, how, you know, uh, can we gauge that in ability on and off the field? Well, I should say on the field um, with no, some no, who don't no. pan out. No, 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 no. That's, that's you know, that's, you know, I have, I, I, you know, there's always going to be scrutiny, but no, at the end of the day, what we say or what we do about what we say about these folks and whatever, um, it, it's, it's, uh, it's white noise for them. It, at least it should be. Now, of course, there's going to be some that are going to, you know, be, you know, they're going to take it to heart and whatever. And again, that's just human nature. There's no way around that, but no, I have, you know, unfortunately way too many of us, in this field love to be judge, jury, and executioner. You know, if you've ever seen the movie, um, the natural, you know, the, the, uh, the Robert, yep. the, the Robert Duvall role where he basically tells hi, hey, I can make you or break you. And now again, that was set back, you know, back in the day that, you know, let's be honest, that, 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 uh, attitude, that prevailing attitude still holds true now, especially now. Remember, you didn't have the um, you didn't have the, the 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 beast of media that you have now. So it's it's uh, and again the reason why I brought it up there. because I had a writer, I had a of someone that uh, said you know that was the case in the in the the, the Walter Payton um, situation and and the. Um, and the Pete Rose Jr. situation that they just didn't take it seriously enough, and then and I'm just bringing it. I'm just asking you. That's what I'm sure. saying. I don't. I don't I'm not no, saying I agree with you. But yeah, yeah. that's what the, but, the case was. Again, and again, I think a lot of that just has to do with where we're at in society-wise now. Um, and see, I would contend that it's different because see, Pete Rose Jr. wanted you know Pete Rose Jr. wanted to be his dad. He, 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 you know, he made it very, very clear that he wanted to. And, and the fact that, you know, things didn't work the way it out it did, it took him, I, I know he took him a while to come to grips with it. I think with uh, Jared, it was different. You know, it wasn't the be-all to end-all for him to be. He wanted to play football. He got the opportunity to play football, and, and he was able to use and see He's been able to use his career, albeit brief, to uh, keep his dad's name alive. You know, he's basically the president of the Creighton Foundation, um, and and he has and he has basically made his life work, part of his life's work, um, keeping the legacy of his father uh, out there. Remember, he you know, he uh, he introduced his dad at the uh, at, at the the Hall of Fame. Um, Inductions. So, in a right. sense, that kid was so he was already in a sense preparing himself. And he seen what people always seem to forget about stuff. People, we can use sports for other entities. Now, look, everybody wants to be a you know every every media person, whether they want to admit it or not, is a frustrated jock. I wanted to be my, my thing was. I was either going to replace the fat guy from the, from the um, fifth dimension, or I was going to be the next uh, Bob Gibson. I wound up being I wound up being neither. But I've used my but I've used my love for sports 
to parlay that into a, a career. Um, what 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 um, where the problem is is where we have these bastards at the gate that are going to try to dictate to you whether you're a success or a failure or not. And you know, for those who may think that Jared Payton was a failure, was a fa- you know he was a failure maybe athletically, but you know. No one's, he's not going to hell because he couldn't uh, read defenses. He's not going to go to hell because he, you know, didn't have the same speed as his, as, as, as his dad. That's, that's small potatoes. But unfortunately, in this, in this overhyped, um, bombastic blowhardness that's, that's, that's become sports media now, we wanted to find folks um, on, on, our, on our terms and not their own terms. I'm sure you you talk to uh, Jared Payton. He's a happy man, and he's probably got a couple a couple more bucks than the people who are criticizing him too. But that's another story. But you know, we tend to we tend to try and um, we tend to try to um, sit on a pedestal. Well, just I mean, like again, we're all frustrated jocks, and people wanted to find you know. If now, now if uh, Ortiz's son doesn't wind up being as good as his dad, oh, he's a failure. He's you know he's gonna he's gonna regret the day he ever played baseball. But see, that's not your call. Which will be stupid because if he doesn't live up to them clutch hits, it don't don't make sense. Exactly. But see, but see, but 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 as we know, there's going to be folks, especially in Boston and New York, that are going to do that. And and when you and, and and nationally, as well. Instead of saying, "Hey, I hope the kid does okay. I hope it doesn't get you know, get eaten up by by the beast that it can be." But there's the, unfortunately, we do have a lot of folks in this society that just want to see that literally want to see people fail, and they want to define like. Um, here's the thing. Bill Buckner. First thing comes to your mind when you hear Bill Buckner. Of course, the ball gets uh, under his legs. And I was a big Bill Buckner fan, too. And see, and I mean, see, real, the, the guy had a stellar career. He really and, did. And, and, see, and see, again, here's a guy had a low strikeout rate. Uh, only injuries kept him from being uh, getting 3,000 hits. Was an all-star. Very good ball player. But defined by one play, which is ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Jim and Marsh, if McNamara Jim, was a manager, he wouldn't have even been in the game anyway. Look, look, but that's look, a whole other conversation. You know what? That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a two-hour conversation that I'm never having again. You know, he did it. He did it. And he, you know, it is what it is. But Jim Marshall, Jim Marshall had the consecutive game streak in the NFL before Brett Favre was on was was on was one of the part was one of the main cogs of the Purple People Eaters, but people will define him for running the wrong way, which is again asinine, complete and utter asinine. But see, on, that's that's where we're at in that's where we're at 
in society where people want to want to judge your entire life on your worst ever mistake. And and there's just again again it speaks more to the bastards at the gate than the actual person. And you know, look, it 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 consumed Buckner. It damn near killed him. You know, he had to leave I, Boston. I can imagine. And, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and, all, and, the death, and the, all the death threats he got. Yeah, absolutely. And see, and see, even when the you know, I remember you know when the when the Red Sox you know broke the quote unquote curse and like you know we forgive you, Bill Buckner. Oh, you can. If I'm Bill Buckner, I would tell you to kiss the fattest part of my ass. Okay, you know, not only you know, right. you know, but see, that's what's the unfortunately that's that's where we're at. That's where we're at now. I mean, it's say now, but it's and that's a, not even a baseball now. thing, too. That's not even a baseball thing, too, Tony. That's a reporter thing across the board. That's these well, writers yeah. that think if that never, they want to you know they want to go after these witch witch hunts after these guys. And it's not fair, man. It really isn't. Bill Buckner was a great hit. To me, he was a great player. I don't know. You could debate Hall of Fame, but certainly yeah. he was he was as solid as it comes. Um, and the ever, numbers prove it out. If you ever want to watch something that, 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 that's the epitome of where we're at now, uh, watch the 30 for 30 on uh, Steve Bartman. It is. Yeah. If you've ever, if you've never sat down and watched the whole thing, it is. It is. You know. It's gut wrenching because this guy has still. I mean, has still. I mean, thank goodness he's still alive, but he's. But he's literally is just walked off the face of the earth, in 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 a, in a sense, all for one thing. All for one thing, and and see. There were and see it, it, again. If you watch it, they 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 actually they actually gave this man's address on TV in Chicago. That should be a fire bullet. Wow. That should be a, yeah. that guy should not have his the guy who did that should not have his job. And it, it plays into the whole mob mentality and uh, and 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 the sports mentality and all that other stuff. But see. And I know there are people saying, well, what does that have to do with, you know, uh, siblings and sports? Well, it speaks to, you know, it speaks more to how the lowest common denominator in our human existence can sometimes be, um, can just, can just, can just eat our society alive. And then, and again, that might be cause for just another two hour conversation in and of itself, but it's a factor. It's it's a it's a it's a it's it's a definite factor in in um in all of this. Yeah, and I think that um a lot of these um so called new hot shots or whatever want a story, or whatever, looking for stuff like you said, it's a downtime or whatever. But at the end of the day, um we we have to be able to respect these guys and gals that play play the game. Um, if if there are any controversies that come up, let it be controversies, not be a witch hunt. That's a difference. Um, and so, 
a lot of these these guys come up and, and, and gals come up with that kind of stuff and and it's unfortunate. But I you know, like I said, I, I started off the conversation with the fact that you have this kid that understands where he is in his father's life. His father is was a great player, a great clutch player, and he just wanted to just put have, play the game he knows because he's been around his father. Um, mm-hmm. And then let the chips fall where they may. And that, that's where it should be. Shouldn't be any pressure from any player. And it certainly shouldn't be any pressure for, like you said, these these um, disgruntled and, and frustrated wannabe athletes that call themselves writers now. Frisbee doesn't count, folks. I'm sorry. Um, last question for you, T, because I know we got to go. Um do, do you think with the the All Star Game uh, had their uh, their All Star Weekend had their everything in one day the the three point yeah, and all that yeah. kind of stuff in the game Smorgas, is Smorgas, that a way right is is that a way that they should do that and All Star Weekends should go you think would be a, a I, better I, suited in terms of ratings I, I, I hope not I hope not I I I enjoyed you know, having all the events separate on Saturday and then the game on then the game of it. So I, I understand why it was done. Matter of fact, I applaud the way that they were able to do it, you know, giving the giving some giving some incredible love to the HBCUs. But um yeah, I, I, I hope this is just a one time thing. Again, I know because of COVID and all the other stuff and everything. But yeah, I, I do hope they go I hope if and when uh all stars Stuff comes around again next year. I, I I hope they go back to the regular form. I mean, I didn't not watch the game because of it. I watched, you know, I didn't watch it as much, but um, I do hope they go back to the uh, regular format. I I think it was just a. I you know just I just, I think I think all these events deserve, especially the All Star Saturday Night. I think it deserves to be out there uh, on its own. And 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 as does as does the uh, the ball game. Yeah, it was different with the CIAA with theirs and NBA. Those are two that were kind of sticking to my micro with well, what you're saying well, well, how they did well, you know, it. Um, well, you know, look, CIAA has a whole week. They tried to basically do it in one day. I mean, I you know, I like I said, I applaud them for it. I just hope they don't do it again. And by the way, I wanted Toppin to win. I thought Toppin was the most athletic kid in the thing, anyway. And I thought he would win, but this is the one. The kid that won has some hops. He can jump through the. You know what? It's funny. That's the one event I didn't watch because I didn't. I I thought it was because see, I did not know what time. I, I you know I knew the game was starting at eight, but I was like, okay. How are they going to? Because I didn't know the slam dunk was going to be at the halftime. Because I watched the first half yeah, and they, then I watched one watching something else, and I completely missed it. I completely. missed it. And I got to tell you, like I said, I I, I knew about Toppin before he got to the Knicks. I oh, knew yeah. and watched him and play, but to see what he did athletically. Um, the the way he and and, and the the way he could just move, um, he he it, it makes me man they mess up if they let that kid go. 
I mean, really. I'm not looking to trade him, although you see a lot of these um, Facebook pages and these alleged fan, uh, fan uh, pages. They basically have traded everyone except for the damn um, janitor. Yeah. Well, but it, you know, then you know, you're back to mediocrity then. Well, no, trade no, 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 no. Mind, you, mind you, mind you, mind you, these are fans that are trading everybody. Not, not the, you know, and, and, right. and, and the media and the media, you know, there's been, you know, Everybody, you know, and forgive me. Everybody seems to have a hard on for Bradley Beal. I like Bradley Beal, good ball player, but they got a point guard, and his name is Quigley. Build around him, right? Build around him. You know, Bradley. Bradley. Well, again, I told you, Bradley gives him the star power. That's what. That's what they're looking for. They want that extra we'll star see, power. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll. Well, then. Well, then. Well then, these fans haven't, you know, still don't get it then yet, because the very same fans that were bitching about how bad this team was, they're trying to trade half the team now. I mean, you've got folks that say, "Yeah, Randall's, but you know, Randall ain't a superstar. He's the best player you have right now. So of course, let's just get rid of him because he's not Bernard King, because he's not Patrick Ewing. How asinine is that? But again, it's 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 you know. Thankfully, that's funny. He's got a, a, you know, I mean, he he's got a step like a. I'm not comparing him, but he's got a step like a king, and he certainly can play stop defense. It, stop so it, stop it, you know, stop it, stop I'm it, not. I didn't it. say. I said no, I'm no, not no, comparing. I, I said he's got a step. Stop it. Stop it. He's right got now. a step. Stop it. But I like his hey, step. So, so does so does peg leg. So does peg leg Bates too. But he's not. But he's not out there. Um, we're not out there trying to have him get rebound. I I, I get what you're saying, but. Don't you know? Don't don't put that on him right now. He's, he's you know it's, it's bad enough no. that the fr- I, I again I get what you're saying, but see, the franchise or some moron who doesn't know the history of the franchise uh, when he got named to the All Star team, you know you know that famous picture that they have of Bernard uh, with the with the crown on his head and the uh, back and the New York right. background. You know, they recreated that with uh, Randall. Oh wow! Again. Again, someone who should be fired because this person absolutely doesn't know the history of this team. And again, this is no, this is no, this is no disrespect to Randall, but don't do that to the kid. Don't do that to the kid. Right. The, the great story is that he's been given for the first time. He's been given an opportunity to show what he can do, and he's showing it. And unfortunately, some of these uh, idiotic fans and media don't appreciate it. They're already trying to, you know, this team is doing well, and all of a sudden, everybody wants to be, you know, everybody wants to play GM. Well, just so you know, uh, real quick, I know we got to run, but uh, I've been um, temporarily uh, banned from I Love the Yankees, uh, one of the Yankees' websites, because I was critical of some of the moves or lack thereof, including... With consider, um, consider yourself, with Brett hey, Gardner, consider, consider, so right, so it's yourself, a badge of honor. Yeah, because I, I, I had to put a because like um, I was on Facebook and I guess there's like this uh Met page, and uh, let me see, I guess uh there were people that were like criticizing the team, 
And I just made a throwaway comment. It's probably some Yankee fans trolling the site because they're upset that they didn't get Lindor. And the guy exposed himself. He said, yeah, I'm a Yankee fan. So what? So what? It's like, it's, you know, um, and, and, you know, and, and, you know, you get the same old argument, you know, 27 championships and all the, so I'm like insecure much. What the hell are you doing on the Mets site? You know, why you, if, right. if, if the Yankees are so whatever, why are you over here bothering the help? Yeah, I agree with you. And, um, like I said, they looked at my comments about Brett Gardner, and then somebody was talking about Platoon and Gardner with Frazier, I think. I, uh, and I'm like, you know, whatever. And that's when they were like, you know, I got the little email saying I was temporarily blocked from the page, which is really funny in itself, but I don't really care. Well, I just thought that was amusing. That speaks, in that speaks more, again, speaks more, speaks more to them. I mean, if if you're still right. platooning, if you're still this way, that better be a that better be a, a a one day or two day platoon, if that's the case. That's not what they said, if, and that's why still, I said. I mean, still, uh, first of all, you should he shouldn't even be on a roster. I you know, it's but hey, every team has to have a mascot, so you know. <laughs> he a little one. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, that's what I said. I thought it was funny that I'm I'm being blocked as a Yankee fan because I'm I'm not talking the sweet propaganda. You have a you have a you have a mind of your you're a black man with a mind of your own. You know how 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 dare you? Right, and I'm a black Yankee fan. That that, that I mean. Uh, not to say all, well, but I'm just saying that I, I just no, thought it was, was really. Hey, there's at least hey, there's at least five of you that I know. Yeah, exactly right, and it's six six Met fans, and then. <laughs> no, we no we're five. we're actually we're actually up to fourteen, but I'm sure that, I'm I'm sure that um, you know, if they start doing okay, you know, you're gonna there's gonna be more people who want to get their asses on the uh, bandwagon. I'm sure. I've already I've That's already right. I've already heard. I've already heard from folks that I haven't heard from in ten years. I'm like, <laughs> oh yeah, they come. Look, look, like, like, like roaches when you turn the light on, they, you know, they, they come out of the woodwork. That's right. The nation, they're everywhere. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure we'll yeah. start seeing some. You know, now that, um, <laughs> now that number, now that number four has signed in, uh, in uh, Arlington, I'm sure some more. Uh, uh, cow, uh, cow, cowboy fans will come out now and start declaring and start and start declaring. Um, you know the Cowboys are ready to win a, another Super Bowl. Well, if they were smart. They would have all do love and respect to Dak. If they had a chance to get Russell, make that happen because Russell will make somebody great. If he ain't in Seattle next year, he will definitely be on his way if to a, you know what? Uh, a chance to win another title. If they're dumb enough to let him go, then they deserve anything and everything they get in return. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, T, as always, man, I appreciate you, man. I'll talk with you very soon. Thanks, thanks for coming on, as always. Thank you, Mr. Thomas. I appreciate talking with you. <laughs> All right, T. Tony T. Mack would claim a good friend. 
You're on the Bass News Radio Show. You miss any part of the broadcast, go to our website, the Bass News Radio Network dot com, BassNewsRadioNetwork.com and go to our Bassin News Radio Network show page for interviews and everything else under the sun. Thank you for joining us as well. <laughs>